Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another fine show for you. I'll talk about my Philadelphia Phillies firing manager Joe Girardi last Friday with Jack Fritz, co-host of the High Hopes Pod on Apple Podcast, in an interview I conducted Wednesday night. First, though, we are going to talk about the Belmont Stakes and the little Boston Bruins hockey with the award-winning Gazette sports writer Mike McAdam. He's on his way to cover the Belmont Stakes Saturday for the Gazette. Mike, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Ken. I'm I'm uh, fired up for Saturday, that's for sure. Yeah, I bet. Uh, I mean, even though we don't have a triple crown uh, potential here, uh, let's let's handicap the Belmont. Um, you know, it's, it's not drawing a strong field, but why is it? Is it still an interesting one based on what? Based on the fact that Rich Strike, the Kentucky Derby winner, is in field after winning the Derby at, at ridiculous, absurd odds of eighty to one, which was the uh, Second biggest upset in 148 years of the Kentucky Derby. Um, he did not. They chose not to run him in the Preakness because their plan all along was to, if they got in the Derby, which they barely did, based on one scratch on Friday, um, they weren't going to run in the Preakness no matter what. And they kind of stuck to their guns. I know there's a lot of pressure on the Derby winner to come back in the Preakness, but his trainer eric reed said we're, we're going to stick to the game plan after consulting with the owner um so they're coming back in the belmont um so you got the derby winner um nobody's done the except for triple crown winners american pharaoh in, in 15 and justify in 18 uh nobody's won the derby and the belmont since thunder gulch in 1995 so we'll be interested to see if our red strike can pull that off uh, i personally don't think he will um but uh, the interest factor also comes into play by the fact that uh, we have a Philly in there, Nest, who was second in the Kentucky Oaks on Derby weekend to uh, Secret Oath, who coincidentally did run in the Preakness. So you, we had a Philly in the Preakness, and now we have a, another Philly in the Belmont, which is very intriguing to me. I was at Belmont Park in 2007 when Rags to Riches outdueled Curlin to win the the uh, Belmont, which remains to this day one of the most amazing sporting feats I've seen. Um, she was the first Philly to win the win the Belmont since 1905, a Philly named Tanya. And then the only other winner by a Philly was out of um, 23 Phillies who have run in the Belmont was the first year they held the Belmont, which was 1867. And uh, a horse named Ruthless won the first Belmont that year. So we're going to see if, what Ness can do that in there. Um she is trained by Todd Pletcher, who also trained Rags to Riches in 2007. So he's not afraid to bring a, a Philly into this mile and a half uh, very difficult race. He did it back in 2013 with unlimited budget, and she finished uh, like seventh or something like that. Um, other interesting note is that Rags to Riches dueling Curlin in the 07 uh, Belmont. Nest is actually sired by Curlin, so you got another connection back to 07 along those lines. Um, but my pick is We the People, relatively lightly raced. He's the two to one morning line favorite, um, coming off a very impressive win in the Peter Pan, which is sort of, um, you know, Naira sticks that race in between the Derby and the Preakness that, that weekend between. 
and the Peter Pan is kind of traditionally a race that horses who are just aiming for the Belmont and aren't really aiming for the Derby or the Preakness or wind up in the Peter Pan because of other circumstances. Um, it sort of serves as a stepping stone for the Belmont and we, the people, uh, won the Peter Pan by 10 and a quarter lengths. Uh, his only loss in four career starts was a seventh to uh, cyber knife in the Arkansas Derby. So a lot of people are jumping on that wagon, even though he didn't run in either of the first two legs. He's by constitution, a very hot sire these days, hot young sire these days. He, he, he uh, sired to the law who, um, you know, of course won the Belmont and the Travers a couple years ago. Um, and then another horse that I'm sort of interested in is Mo Donegal, who was, um, was fifth in the Derby and ran pretty well and was picking off horses. One of the few that was picking off horses at the end, Rich Strike kind of got the jump on him and got like this ridiculously perfect trip. You know, credit to Sonny Leon. I think that was the first time he'd ever even ridden a horse in a Triple Crown race for working out the trip while taking advantage of the duel between Epicenter and Zandon, who I still believe are the two best three-year-olds in the country. Um, but Mo Donegal, you know, um, I, I think he's got a decent shot at the Belmont. I, you know, apparently he's bred for wet turf. So if we get rain or wet track, so if we get rain on Saturday, which it looks like we're probably going to, uh, that shouldn't be a problem for him. So there's, there's some interesting pieces in there. It just sort of lacks, you know, even, even in years where there isn't a triple crown on the line, there's usually some good storylines in there and, and, you know, a lot of people are kind of criticizing the strength of this field. It, it, it still holds a lot of interest value, certainly for me. We have not talked since the Kentucky Derby, and I was just shocked. I mean, you, you watched the overhead uh, camera angle of how NBC's uh, coverage of the of the of the Derby and how, what Rich Strike did, just maneuvering and, and the speed that he had. Yeah, we thank have a, you. We have, a, <laughs> we have a longer distance now. I mean, can Rich Strike? Do repeat that performance. Um, that's the question everybody faces. This is pretty much the only time, you know, unless they come back as an older horse to run in races like the Brooklyn or, or the uh, Suburban. Um, this is the only time in their lives that they're going to run a mile and a half. Um, so we don't know if anybody can. You can you can examine pedigree and things like that, and and also how a horse ran in a race like the Derby. Um, I still think Rich Strike had everything go his own way. Credit to the rider, credit to the horse. Uh, we don't know if he can go a mile and a half. Of course, we don't know if any of these can. Um, I, I will say that everyone's predicting that this is going to be a real jockey race because there's no speed on the front end. I mean, we might be seeing 49, 50 seconds for the first half mile, which is really slow, you, you know, even for a mile and a half race which means you're going to want to be close. You don't, you don't want to let whoever the front runner is get too far away because they could maybe go, go run and hide if they get some comfortable, relaxing middle fractions. Um, but also at Belmont Park, it's going to be a jockey's race, and I believe experience on the track is a big thing. What you see a lot of times is jockeys go too soon. Like they're used to... to a track configuration that's a mile or a mile and an eighth like Saratoga is where maybe your your horse likes to go when they're in the middle of the second turn. So your internal clock kind of tells you when we reach that point, we got to go. If you try that at Belmont, you you still have a ton of track left to run. So I think the out-of-town guys that are the 
non-New York-based guys have a little um, disadvantage because they're not used to like that having that internal clock of knowing when the proper time to go is based on that huge sweeping second turn. And maybe Sonny Leon is at a huge disadvantage. I don't know if I didn't check. A lot of times what you see with these out-of-town guys is they'll try to get a couple miles early in the car just to get a feel for the track. And certainly, you know, I don't know if he's been in town to gallop this horse, but um, I think there's a big advantage for the New York-based guys that ride there all the time, which is pretty much everybody else in this field except for Sonny Leon on Rich Strike. Early voting won the Preakness. It's the Chad Brown-trained uh, horse, and, of course, Chad Brown from Mechanicville. Why isn't he running in the uh, Belmont? Well, he, you know, for one thing, I'm not sure early voting really likes the mile-and-a-half distance. I mean, I think they can kind of predict that, again, back to his breeding or whatever. Um, that said... Um, looking a little farther down the road to the Travers, I mean, it, maybe some people are poo-pooing the Belmont field, but I think the Travers field could be bananas because they'll all come back for that. Um, uh, the, the Travers field could be better than the Derby field based on all the good ones could show up there. Um, so really kind of looking forward to that. Um, plus early voting, there's no, it, there's no real reason whether he's, he's would you know, be attuned to a mile and a half distance. There's no reason to run him back in three weeks. You won the Preakness. You kind of got that nice feather in your cap. Maybe it's time to, like, recharge and, and point towards something like the Jim Dandy Travers uh, double. Well, you're couple, let's look at some of the undercard stakes. There's two uh, slugfests you're looking at. I really am. I'm, I, I'm not the only one. Um, whereas there's a certain criticism for the Belmont field, the, the Twitter criticism for the undercard races is that the fields are all very short, but I don't care. Um, this is going to be one of those undercards where I sort of just sit back and watch and don't bother wagering or, or looking at it from that angle or not, because um, in the Ogden Phipps, which is the dirt route race for older fillies and mares, we got Latruska against Malathot, who both won Eclipse Awards last year. Malathot, of course, who starred at Saratoga. Uh, she won the three-year-old filly. Um, Eclipse and Latruska won the older Philly and Mare Dirt Eclipse and so we're going to see them butt heads for the first time ever. That's going to be amazing. And then the other uh, the other one that is highly anticipated is Flightline against Speaker's Corner in the Met Mile. Um, Flightline is a little bit of an enigma but everybody thinks he might be the best horse in North America. Well, a lot of people think that. Not everybody. Not even close. But he's 3-for-3 three three lifetime. He's coming off an 11.5 length win in the, in the Grade 1 Malibu on December 26th, he has not raced yet this year. Meanwhile, Speaker's Corner has been on fire this year. He's he three for three just in 22 alone, coming off a win in the Grade One Carter at, at Aqueduct. Um, so who knows what's going to shake out between these two? And then just for just for laughs, let's throw Aloha West in that field. Also, uh, won the Breeders' Cup Sprint. Maybe I don't know if, how good he is at a mile, but I mean he's certainly going to have some say in this. Um, so those two duels are going to be amazing. And then meanwhile, um, elsewhere on the Saturday card, we've got Echo Zulu running in the Acorn. Another star of Saratoga meet last year. She's 3-5 to five in the Acorn. Um, her only career loss was a fourth to uh, Secret Oath in the Kentucky Oaks. She won the spin away at Saratoga on closing weekend last year. So she's going to be fun to watch in the Acorn. Um, Chad Brown, needless to say, is loaded in the Justic Game, which is the mild turf race. 
He's got Pegasus World Cup Turf Invitational, Philly and Mare winner, Regal Glory, as well as Speak of the Devil in there, um, and in Italian. So he's got three good shots in that race. And, and then speaking of Chad, um, another horse that everybody's going to be looking very closely at is Jack Christopher in the Woody Stevens. Um, also three for three. Broke his maiden by eight and three quarters lengths to kind of stake his claim as a very good horse last year at Saratoga, won the Champagne. He was out of commission for seven months and came back and, and easily won the Pat Day Mile on Derby Day. Um, so he's three for three lifetime. Jack Christopher, he was kind of looking like Chad's Derby horse last year when he won at Saratoga and in the Champagne at Belmont, and then he got hurt and you know wasn't anything really major. And it, we were all interested to see how he looked when he came back on Derby Day, and of course he was lights out. But the fact that he's in this race, Woody Stevens, which is a sprint instead of the Belmont itself, um, suggests that he's going to be more of a Amsterdam Alan Jerkins, you know, shorter three-year-old sprint type for the Saratoga meet. So he's one of the best three-year-olds in the country, but he's distance challenged. Hence, he's running in the Woody Stevens and also at very short odds. So Chad's got a pretty good hand um, uh, on Saturday's card. Okay, let's move over to hockey. Shall you, we? You, yes. <laughs> you, you are a big boss. Do we have fan. to? <laughs> Yes, we do. <laughs> if I had to suffer right, through a long flyer, on. if I had to suffer through a long flyer season, I had to suffer through my questions. All right, Boston that's Bruins fair. Monday night, stunningly fire head coach Bruce Cassidy wins two hundred uh, two hundred forty five games, guided the team to the Stanley Cup final game seven in twenty nineteen, really overachieved this year. Why was he fired? What the, are the Bruins thinking? I don't know what they're thinking, and all I know is what they're saying, and it's a bunch of bull, if you ask me. Um, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe there, there's a black cloud hanging over this whole off season for the Bruins between – I mean, that was just the, the straw that broke the camel's back for me. I mean, you're already looking at Patrice Bergeron maybe retiring because he's, he's hurt. They've got – some of their star players are going to be on the shelf for months recovering from injuries and having surgeries and stuff, including Brad Marchand, uh, Charlie McAvoy, and Matt Grelzik. Um Meanwhile, I was reading this morning, you know, to throw another log on the fire, apparently David Pasternak is a little disgruntled, and I think there was a suggestion that he wasn't thrilled with Cassidy, and that maybe that traces back to when he broke up the Marchand-Bergeron-Pasternak um, line during the playoffs, which actually worked at the time. And I don't know if Pasternak is mad about that. and But, you know, maybe the firing of Cassidy was to appease Pasternak, who's going to be an unrestricted free agent. I don't know. Um, I just know the reasoning that they gave was just sounded like the typical bull, like, change of direction, whatever that means. I mean, it, while lavishly praising, and this is Don Sweeney and, and Cam Neely, lavishly praising Bruce Cassidy up and down for his contribution and, and all the work he did with the team and the success that he had, blah, blah, blah. But different direction, I have no idea what that means. Um, and I, they didn't supply anything that that really backed up, you know, justified firing him. I, I don't get it. I, I hate the whole, yeah, we got beat in the first round for a few years. We didn't get out of the first round of the playoffs last few years, so let's let's 
shake up something. You know, they can't get fired. They don't get fired, the, the upper management guys. They're the ones putting the pieces together. And, you know, they, they kind of scapegoated Cassidy to some degree. And I wasn't happy with it. I, he's a good coach. I thought he was a straight shooter. He cares about defense from everybody, not just the, the defensemen. And uh, I, I just – I don't buy anything that they said because they didn't really even say anything. So I don't know. It's But there's a black cloud. Um, and I don't mean black and gold with the smoke being uh, black. I mean black like storm clouds brewing over the soft season. And I'm going to kind of like back off on paying attention to the Bruins until training camp, <laughs> maybe later. Who do you think Who do you think made the call? I mean, obviously Sweeney's the face as the GM, but do, do you think Cam Neely has his hand in this? The I just well, I don't know if, if I don't know how much he had his hand in it, but he didn't veto it. Not that he can. I mean, Don Sweeney is the you know the, the top of the hierarchy there. Um, if if Neely had a problem with firing Cassidy, he didn't make a convincing case. I, who knows what goes behind those closed doors? And uh, but yeah, I was shocked. I was like, I did not see that coming, and. Um, just smelled like a just that knee jerk. Well, we got to do something, and they didn't get very creative because everybody just sort of takes it out on the coach. And I didn't think it was really justified in this case. I'm not not happy. <laughs> There's some speculation out there. I mean, I don't know how real it is. And his name has mentioned been mentioned before for a possible. Let NHL. me let me try to guess who you're <laughs> to replace Bruce Cassidy. Yes. All right, the name, the most interesting one I saw out there this morning was John Tortorella. No, that's was not that who you were leading up to? No. A guy, Gary Trotz was another one. No, a guy who we know, not not Rick Bennett, but his predecessor. Oh, Nate Lehman's yeah. name was thrown out yeah. there a couple days ago. I saw that, yeah. Wouldn't that be something? Uh, he, he was mentioned for the Outers job before Trotz got that one uh, yeah. a few years ago. I mean, I, I was talking with somebody last night about that and to me i i mean nate's a great college coach but would he want to go to a turn to, to the nhl where basically he does not have control over play, you know, who play, the players they get because obviously you have that in college you don't have that right. unless you're you know, unless you get to be the gm slash coach yeah i don't know what you know i mean unless it's like it comes down to a money thing where certainly the, you would think the bruins could make it attractive to Nate to, to leave Providence. Um, so I don't know. I, you know, the, the history of college coaches going to the NHL is kind of a little checkered side. Um, so I don't know if the Bruins would even want Nate just based on that. I, I don't know. Um, but I did see his name out there. Yeah. Nate just also got a raise from Providence. Cause he, I think had, there was re- reports out there that he interviewed for the Boston college job after Jerry York, uh, retired. Uh, so, I mean, he's just getting a raise from Providence. Maybe he won't. Maybe decide he has a good at Providence. Well, he certainly has leverage because he's done very well there, and he's a, he seems like an attractive name. Um, so, I don't know. Um, I'm just gonna. I'm sort of like gonna remove myself from the whole Bruins head coaching situation, and when it happens, it happens, and then I'll make a judgment from there. But I, I don't feel inclined to burning a lot of energy right now trying to speculate or figure out what they're going to do because I have no idea. Well, I know when uh, it was announced Monday that Cassidy got fired, I know Flyers fans were always like, let's, let's, get, in, let's get an interview <laughs> with him right now. So. 
We'll see what I mean. Tor Rawls' names are mentioned there too. I, I I don't know. That's if the Flyers hire Bruce Cassidy, that would somehow may actually make it worse for me. Because <laughs> you have to put up with me. That's why. Because I hate the Flyers. <laughs> <laughs> no offense. No offense taken. It's all good fun. Follow Mike's right. coverage of the Belmont Stakes this weekend on Twitter at Mike underscore McAdam. Also, we have at the races uh, a new thing we have at the Gazette. Uh, uh, we'll you know, talk about that as we get further towards the Saratoga season. You go to dailygazette.com slash at the races. You can you know, find all kinds of racing coverage there. So that's something new and exciting for us. Looking forward to it for sure. All right. Uh, Mike, have a safe trip down there, and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for having me on. Right, thanks. That's Mike McGadden. We'll talk about the firing of manager Joe Girardi with High Hopes Pod co-host Jack Fritz next on the Parting Shots Podcast. At the Track is your premier source of horse racing news and events from the daily newspaper of the Saratoga Racecourse, the Daily Gazette. At the Track features racing tips, feature stories, picks by Naira racing analyst Anthony Stabile and Andy Serling, and direct links to Naira bets. Check out At the Track at www.dailygazette.com slash at the track. Hi, this is CMN's basketball coach, Carmen Massarello. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Shaw. Welcome back to the podcast. As you know, I am a Philadelphia native and live and die with my pro sports teams. So when it was announced last Friday that the Phillies fired manager Joe Girardi, I was happy because it wasn't a good run under Girardi. To talk about that is the co-host of the High Hopes Pod, on Apple Podcast and the producer of the John Marks and Ice Reese, uh, Ike Reese show uh, that is heard on weekdays from 2 to 6 p.m. on 94 WIP in Philadelphia. Here is uh, Jack Fritz. Jack, I appreciate you taking some time out to talk Phillies baseball with me. Of course. I mean, it's always fun talking Phillies when they lose one five straight. So it's easy for now. Uh, and hopefully they don't, they don't ruin our summer here on a little bit. Well, it, yeah, as we tape here Wednesday night, the Phillies you know, off, you know, on the Rob Thompson 4 0 right now. I mean, let's look back to 2019 when you know, Gabe Kapler was manager and Joe Girardi was out there. I think every, I mean, I, even I was looking forward, you know, Joe Girardi, he should be managing his team. He knows what he's doing. Gabe Kapler doesn't know what he's doing. What happened? What wrong? What, 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 uh, man, it is, uh, I think that we were honestly hoodwinked by, by Joe Girardi. I really do. I think that, I think we had this idea that they were getting this old school manager that was going to come in and be talking to players and, and he's going to really show passion and, and seem like he really was invested. And the guy that I felt that we saw here for 250 games was a guy that really wasn't invested. Um, I never really felt like he loved being the Phillies manager. Um, now I, I do think he didn't, he was had inadequate talent at, at some points, but I don't also think that, you know, any of these players, really enjoyed playing for him. And I think that you're already seeing the, the dividends. I mean, last night I thought was, was really interesting with, with how the clubhouse is reacting to it and how uh, there's like music blaring and, and it was almost so loud that he, could, he heard it through the walls of Rock Thompson. Like, it just seems like that there was a, a big weight lifted off of these guys' shoulders. And I think that's a, that's kind of the culture that, that Girardi had set here. I mean, why did it take until last Friday to do this? I, mean, I there, there were some points... This season, where I thought, yeah, you got to make the move now, make the move. I, you know, when they blew the seven-one lead against the Mets, 
Uh, I thought, I mean, yeah, that's that's got to be the end of Girardi, and that didn't happen. And I, my son, my son Steve and I were down at the uh, at City Field uh, the Memorial Day weekend for the Sunday night game, and you know to see what happened there and how that all blew up in uh, the Phillies' face. And I thought, okay, that's it. They're going to do that, and then they don't do it, and then you know they win that Wednesday game against the Giants. They have the off day Thursday. And then Friday, I mean, that's it was kind of surprised it came out when it did. I mean, I, I, I guess yep. I, I don't like. Uh, I should clarify. I don't like anybody seeing them losing their job, but it, it got to a point. Where it was just so frustrating, and you, you, you get invested in this. And I, you know, I've been a I've been a lifelong Phillies fan. And, you know, uh, I'm 58 years old, and I mean, I, I I went to games at Connie Mack Stadium the final year there with my my grandfather, and including the final game against the Expos. But wow. I just. It just—it was bothering me. I know my son was not happy, and just you get to the point where you just say, "Why am I wasting my time watching this team?" And just there was—it was like you, know, you should imagine the emotion wasn't there. I—I I, I think to me, Girardi lost his team. Maybe the, the Sunday night game against Milwaukee when uh, Kyle Schwarber gets thrown out of the game uh, because of the Angel and Hernandez's. Uh, incompetent umpiring at home plate and Girardi never even bothered to come out and argue and to help protect him. And I think to me, that just sent a signal to me. It's like to players, he doesn't care about the plea. He wants just to write out this term and go somewhere else. Yeah. I think that was the beginning of it. And, and frankly, I, that was one of the most shocking things I've seen. Um, and at that moment I was like, does he really care uh, um, about these, these players, about this team, about, Having having his guys back, and and you know, frankly, the fact that it took until the ninth for any kind of reaction from the Phillies dugout, I thought was ridiculous. That night, I think that started it. I think kind of put the final nail in the coffin is the game in Atlanta where Bryce hits the home run and, and he doesn't put Canable in, and mm-hmm. uh, within like thirty seconds, the game's already over. So, um, and I think after that, Canable, uh, Gibson, and Schwarber all went and talked to. To Joe, and I, I just think that when you tell professional athletes who want to go out and help their team um, that they can't do something because of a rule, even though they feel perfectly fine, I just think that that, that loses the locker room. That that is something that players don't want to hear, um, and that's something that I, I think ultimately sunk him here. Um, so I, I, there was just a for the last couple of years, it just has looked like they've been laxative on the field. It didn't look like there was any connection. It didn't look like there was any pull in the same direction. And I think a lot of that has to come from from Girardi almost keeping a distance from from wanting to, to really get to know these players. I mean, that's what what was so shocking about the opening press conference was uh, Rob Thompson said multiple times, Dave Browser said multiple times, like, Rob's here to communicate with these guys and, and, and be in the clubhouse and get to know them. And I think that's just telling, given what I, it seems like Joe Girardi was doing with these guys. Yeah, what, what drives me nuts, and again, I'm, I'm old school. I remember I mean, go, you know, going to the vets, Steve Carlson pitches a complete game. You're out of there in two hours, 15 minutes. Or if you know, the Phillies bull, you know, starters falter, you had a bullpen that was consistent. You had Ron Reed, Tug McGraw, Warren Brewster. I mean, I, I go back to the, those 70s and 80s teams. And just these guys that they come out and can't seem to get the job done. I mean, Canable almost blew it uh, Tuesday night in Tuesday night's game against the Bruins. Man ends up loading the bases and somehow wiggles his way out of that. But it just it, it just drives me nuts at the how they use the pitchers anymore and just uh, let these. I mean, let the starters go six, seven. 
and use relievers. I mean, I, I, I think it's one thing that we can. One of the things we can criticize Girardi about is the fact that he did not use that bullpen properly. I know they've had issues, but there's got to be a point where, you know, we it's either the talent or the manager or both. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it's a mix of both, but I also don't think he's putting these guys into in positions to uh, succeed necessarily. Like, I, I just I don't believe that. I, it's it's so funny. Like over the weekend, and even in, in last night's Brewers game, you know, I just felt like Rob Thompson was just doing a normal job managing baseball baseball games and just putting you know bullpen pieces in when it made sense and it was like yes this is what we've been, we've been asking for and it's it's so funny because in new york it was like oh joe girardi knows how to run a bullpen he knows how to, how to do all this stuff well yeah i mean it, it, it's easy when you have the ninth inning on lockdown yeah uh when you have rivera and then it straightened to rivera it was like chapman david robertson like dylan Matanzas, andrew miller like chad green so they always had pieces that he could go to that were, that were ridiculous. So that was easy. Um, and then they come here, and in every year he was manager here, his bullpen ERA was in the 20s. And I think a lot of it had to do with the talent, but I also don't think these guys were really in position to succeed. And there was no you know, uh, uh, credible information out there that would suggest that pitching these guys on or seeing them out on their third on their third trade day actually worked. And it was frustrating from the standpoint of like yeah, I understand managing for September, but also what about April? What about May? Like you could be out of these races by September and you don't even have time to, to get back into it when your relievers are quote unquote healthy. So um it seems like Thompson's taking a more common sense approach when when he's talking about um the the, the three day rule that him Girardi had. Um, and I think that's good to see. And he's going to trust these players. He's going to treat the players like adults. And I, I think at some point, I don't think Joe Girardi did that. It's strange to me that Girardi would not treat players as adults because, I mean, he, he had a pretty sex, successful career. I mean, he won a few World Series as a player. You would think he would know what the, you know, how to treat players. But, but what, I mean, obviously, it showed he didn't. Yeah, and, and it was interesting. Uh, Mark Teixeira was a guest. Um, back in 2017 on the Michael Kay show, and they talked about, this is when Rob Thompson was going for the, the manager job with the Yankees, and they were asking him, what's the difference between Girardi and and Thompson? And he basically said, like, Girardi would never come out and like, hang out with the players, where, like, Thompson will come out and, and have a beer and, and talk about the game and, and kind of connect with guys. And I think that's kind of how it seemed that Joe was here, where he was just like, Stoic, standing away, not really, uh, you know, wanted to be an authority figure. So the players respected him. But I think that in, in, in modern baseball, you know, you, you got to get to know these guys. You got to be a team guy. You got to be relatable to to the players. So I think that's 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 what makes them kind of succeed. It's a, a gone are the days of the tough old school managers that that don't relate to players, like that are just kind of authority figures. I think that's uh, pretty much gone. So. That's what it seems like he tried to do, and and it ultimately it backfired. I guess another criticism of Girardi was his handling of the young players. I, it, it didn't seem like he had any trust in him. No, no, it didn't. And it seemed like he didn't. It's almost like he didn't want to have trust with them. Anytime they would make one little mistake, they were they were automatically out. And he wouldn't let them kind of work through it. And the thing that was so annoying was that you have a team that looks dead all the time. 
um, why not play some young players and, and, and give a little jolt? You know, that's that's something that young players bring. The young players that are getting really their first shot in Major League Baseball can kind of energize a clubhouse, energize a locker room. And that's what I think we've seen since, since Ralph Thompson has taken over. It's like this team needs energy, it needs some life, and the young kids have provided that. So I think the, the, the young players are kind of walking on eggshells, I guess, in a sense, mm-hmm. to where um, if Billy couldn't really make a mistake or else Joe's just going to sit him in. I mean, the perfect example was, like, Alex Bohm last year got sent down for, for Ronald Torres. And he, like, in the middle of a playoff run, um, a, a quote-unquote playoff run, I know they weren't very good, but, um, like, Ronald Torres is your everyday starting third baseman. Um, Didi is playing a, a lot. Um, it's just these, these older players that, um, you know, that are marginal upgrades, if not the same player as the young guys that, that he trusts because they're quote-unquote know the game or whatever. You mentioned Alec Bohm. He had that uh, incident early in the season where he made three errors and was caught on video cursing out the fans and or basically just saying he hates it being here. And uh, The fact that he owned up to it right afterwards, I mean, how much respect did the fans give him for that? It's like, it was like, you know how tough a Philadelphia sports town is. Uh, for him to admit it and just, you know, everybody seems to move on from it. And I, I think that's great for his confidence. I agree. And I, I thought it was a really good moment for this team. Um, you know, I thought it was a good moment for the leaders. Uh, like Nick Castellanos coming over and, and saying, hey, I, I've been there. You know, I, I was one of those guys that made three errors the third base with the veteran-laden staff that, um, uh, that that felt like they just messed up the entire game. So um, I, I think having the leaders there to kind of help them through that, but really just, just showing it was one of the best – Master classes, I would say, uh, of showing athletes how to handle Philly. Like, just go out, say you were wrong, uh, say you know, just own up to it. Don't try to hide it because he, he could have easily said, you know, um, no, I didn't say that. I, I, I could have said like I hate that kind of play or something. And I thought him just owning up and saying, yeah, I did, uh, and it was a moment of weakness or whatever. It's just a, it's a, Philly's not a hard town if you're honest. And, and that's how I've always kind of felt about it. And um, him doing that, I think, honestly, it, it made him kind of appreciate his place. And getting standing ovations the next few nights, I thought was really fascinating. So um, it's, uh, it was a good moment for him, and I think it was a good moment for this team. And and I, he went through a little bit of a rough spell there um, the last like, two weeks, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just hope that now he, he realizes to kind of hit the ball and pull it in the air rather than, just uh, trying to hit it through the other way. Um, but other than that, yeah, Bones has been fine this year, and I think that was a good moment of growth for him. Rookie Bryson Stott, I mean, he's had a little bit of a rough go, but obviously that home run uh, Sunday to win the game against the uh, Los Angeles Angels. I mean, is there, is it, does, he, does he put himself – does that help maybe relax him a little bit? Is he, does he put too much pressure on himself? Um, I don't know. He, he – is from the Bryce mindset, I think. I mean, him and Bryce are grew up together and are roommates, so I think Bryce is, was good about telling him to just stay the course and, and don't get too high, don't get too low. And every time Bryce, and Bryce talks, he seems to back that up. He never gets too high, never gets too low. Um, but I, I think it's natural for any player, you know, especially young players that are scuffling and wondering if they can do it or not. So, um, you know, I, I think that that can be something that can get him going for sure. And I hope it is, because I thought that heading into the year, 
I wanted him on the major league roster on opening day. Um, whether it was third base shortstop, obviously Didi was healthy. Um, and I think he's a talented kid, and he, and he hit everywhere he went. So it was always going to be a bit of a, a of an adjustment up here. And you hope that that's one of those things, and that you can kind of get him going, and, and maybe say, hey, I can do it up here. Um, and so far, it seems like it kind of has. Yeah, Rob Thompson, obviously, he's been he's been with Jordy for a long time. When, it, when it was, he was named the interim manager last Friday, my first thought was, oh, this is basically a Girardi clone. But looking at it, when, you know, it was the success so far here, the you know, first four games he's managed. I mean, it, it, how different is he from Girardi? Well, I mean, it's it's pretty, obviously, it, right now it's just good vibes. You know, it's, it's just good times with them, and they, they seem to be playing with more energy. It seems like he's letting the players be themselves more. Um, it, it, it just, every time you look at that clubhouse on Girardi, it just seemed like guys were tight. Um, and it seems like, like Rob Thompson is just kind of letting them go and letting them be them. Um, I think some of his bullpen decisions has been mostly easy, but they've made sense, um, when he's gone to them. Um, last night, obviously pinch hitting Moniac or pitching nearly for Moniac. I mean, almost anyone could have made that decision, but it worked out for them. Um, so, you know, I, I think you're going to see, hopefully this team play with a little bit more energy, a little bit more inspired, because that's not something that we saw, um, under Joe Girardi, and, 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 uh, you know, I think that we'll see, we should see better bullpen usage, and I think the earlier returns, at least on the bullpen side of things, have, have been, have been solid. Do you think Thompson will change closers? No. I mean, I think he should, you know, there, there seems to be this big thing of, Oh well, how do we know Sir Anthony can uh, can handle the night? How do we know he's mentally capable of doing it? It's like, yeah, I, sure, that's fine, but I want to see if he can't do it first before I, I have to have the premeditated. I'm not sure he can do it. Um, and, and Cable, the problem with him right now is that he's pretty much just a fastball pitcher. Um, he, he 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 seemingly has lost faith in his curveball. Um, there's a point last night where I think he threw like ten straight fastballs because he didn't know where his curveball's going right now. So. Um, it's, it's, it, it, if they keep him there, it could ultimately cost him the playoff spot. Um, and it's shocking because I think Canable's a good pitcher. Um, it's just been frustrating that he comes here and, and immediately goes to, to being bad. Um, so I, I want to see what Sir Anthony can do there. And, and if you, you take Canable out of the role, you put him kind of in the fireman, six, seven, um, six, seven, eight innings. Uh, maybe that gets him going and, and gets some confidence back in more low leverage situations. While Sir Anthony hopefully takes the closer position and runs with it. How do the Phillies make the playoffs? I mean, do they just focus on trying for the wild card at this point, or do you think the division is still in play here with the Mets having some um, injuries right now? Yeah, I mean, it's wild because yeah, I keep waiting for the Mets to mess this whole thing up. I mean, Scherzer's getting bit by the dogs. The Grom is, 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 uh, hasn't pitched yet. Um, Marte's banged up now. Um, McGill's banged up. Pete Alonzo left the game last night. So these are things in the past that, that Mets fans, I think, would be freaking out about as, as you know, that, that the season was kind of ending for them. But they've just kind of been able to handle everything this year. And, that, and that's been wild to see, something that, I, that I'm not used to as a Phillies fan, seeing the Mets be confident, um, even in the, in the face of, of disaster. Um, so I think, I think the division's probably, um, out of contention now, but listen, they're three and a half out of the third wildcard spot, and, and 
that's something they got to focus on at this point. You know, the divisions, whatever. I think they've got to take this kind of one day, one series at a time and, and let the chips kind of fall where they may. I don't want them looking at the, the standing and saying, oh, we got to, you know, really push and, and, you know, try to get, try to erase a 10 and a half game lead, um, you know, in, in one series. And you got to take this as a, as a series by series basis and, and take it one day at a time. And you hope that by the end of the year, you're in a, you're, you're in a position to be in the playoffs because the city needs it. I mean, it's been a, a 10 seasons going on 11 if they miss it this year of playoffless baseball in a top five market. That is unacceptable. Well, let's remember 2007, the Mets blew a lead late. The Phillies caught him, and yep. maybe that can happen again. It would be kind of nice. But, uh, of course, you know, the other thing is Buck Showalter has always had success in the regular season but has never gotten to the World Series. And the pattern is where he gets fired, and the next year the team gets to the World Series. It happened with the Yankees. happened with uh, Arizona. Uh, so, who knows? I mean, things, stranger things have happened. That's why they play 162. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so, you know, hopefully that when Buck does move on from the Mets, they're like when he moved on from the Orioles, which is in a total rebuild. Um, and we don't have to worry about the Buck curse of, uh, of the, his team winning the World Series immediately after he gets fired. <laughs> well, Jack, let me ask you, uh, let me give you a chance to promote all your platforms, uh, Twitter, and all that fun stuff. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at JackFirstWIP. Every night it's pretty much just melting down about the Phillies or, or being all in on the Phillies. It's kind of a roller coaster ride, um, but that's the beauty of baseball. One minute one minute you think the, the season's over or the game's over, and the next minute Bryce Harper's hitting a grand slam and it's 6 6. And uh, then Corey Campbell comes in and blows it, and then Bryce Scott walks him off. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a fun time. I, I, the, the Phillies are my favorite. You know, I, I, I live and die with this game. I, I treat every game like an Eagles game, so it's probably not healthy, but. Um, it is what it is. I, I, don't, I wouldn't want it any, uh, any other way. So, uh, Jack Fritz, WIP on, uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and then if you want to check out High Hopes, it, it's, it's just two uh, absolute baseball nerds talking about the Phillies. So, anywhere you, you, you listen to podcasts, get podcasts, all that fun stuff. Of course, your other co-host is James Seltzer, who pro- produces the uh, Midday Show with uh, Joe yep. Cameron and John Ritchie. And I, I told you when I uh, reached out to you that my son, Stephen, has been a loyal listener of WIP for many years. I mean, he gets up in the morning, he has Angelo on, he has uh, you know Joe's, Joe and John's show on, he has, oh, he has uh, John and uh, Ike's show on, uh, and he listens to that. And uh, we listen to the uh, uh, Beat the Hammer segment on every Friday, uh, so we always enjoy that. And, it's like I said. He's he, he's really even though he's born up in New York State here. I grew I grew, uh, raised him right by in a Phillies Philadelphia sports fanatic. Well, I, I guess so. I mean, it's been a lot of pain for most of our lives, but um, it, it just makes winning it makes winning that much better. Um, you know, kind of going through it, and uh, I appreciate you having your son listen to the station. Um, you know, it's 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 a. I think WIP gets a tough rap sometimes. You know, um, it's it's a lot of fun interacting with with callers and listeners. And honestly, day after day after wins or day after crushing losses, there's there's no more fun days to, to work in radio and working on on WIP talking to talking to uh, our, our awesome fans. So it, it's the greatest and. Good job up there in New York State, uh, raising them the right way. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. I do appreciate it. Uh, a few minutes, Jack. And we'll, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Maybe get to October and uh, red October, and we'll have that back after a long absence. 
Yeah, I mean, that would be crazy. Uh, it's, it's, it's been sparking on the longest streak in the NL. Um, and I, I would I would give anything. I don't care if it's their box guard. I don't care if they win 85 games. Just get me to the playoffs. That's right. It's, 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 you, who knows what happens once you get to the postseason. Jack Fritz, appreciate a few minutes. No problem at all. Anytime. All right. I'll be back to wrap things up here on the podcast and have the latest winners in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest in just a moment. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. I've got a math question for you. When you add tolerance, subtract prejudice, and multiply efforts to treat one another with respect, what do you get? Less division. And school sports have it down to a science. Looking for an example of what can happen when we realize there's more that unites us than divides us? Look no further than high school sports in New York. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, I'm Union Hockey alum and Hall of Famer Dalton Menhall. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 15 winner in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest is James Renner of Stillwater. James wins a $50 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, James. The VIP winner is Scott Lucier of Capital Land GMC. I'll announce the winner of the Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. If you would like to play in the contest, go to dailygazette.com and click the Auto Racing Contest banner. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates and news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic We appreciate the job you are doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself. Do it for your family. And do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots Podcast. I want to thank Mike McAdam and Jack Fritz for being on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, and I leave you with a tribute to singer Jim Seals, who was part of the 1970s duo Seals and Crofts. Seals died Tuesday at the age of 80. Seals and Crofts and had some classic hits like Diamond Girl and Closer to You. Here is a song that put them on the map in 1972, and it's appropriate since the start of summer is almost here. Here is Summer Breeze. See the curtains hanging in the window in the evening on a Friday night. Little light is shining through the window Let me know everything's alright Summer breeze makes me feel fine Blowing through the jasmine in my mind 
summer breeze. 